Luke chapter 2. Last week, as we began our countdown to Christmas, we looked at some of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Christ. And with that, we uh, were reminded of some of the world history that was taking place to help us to understand exactly what was happening in those prophecies. Now we fast forward, of course, to uh, the birth of Christ. And, uh, you know, after the 400 silent years in the intertestamental period, then we have the last prophet, John the Baptist, who was born and, and prophesied of the one who was to come, whose sandal straps he wasn't worthy to loose. And then we also remember in Luke chapter 1, where the angel appears before Mary and tells her that she is going to be great with child. And of course, that was startling news to her in that she had never known a man. She was just betrothed to Joseph. But she hears this word from the angel and accepts that word. Also in Matthew chapter 1, uh, then the angel appears before Joseph and tells him the message that, uh, that, that Mary is pregnant with the child of the father and that he is to marry Mary and, uh, and to raise that child who, of course, is the Messiah. Now we come to Luke chapter 2 and we hear these very familiar verses of Scripture, verses 1 through 7. But as we look at these Scriptures today, I want us to, after we've read it, to contemplate some of the different responses that we really kind of see in the passage. And so we look together at Luke 2, verse 1. It says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. <coughs> Excuse me. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them. In the end, possibly of all the passages in the New Testament, this is the most familiar to us all. And without question, we have heard this passage read and we have heard this passage preached many, many times over the course of our lives. And as we approach the Christmas season, of course, we're going to hear this particular passage, not just in pulpits, but you'll even hear it on TV, particularly if you still watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special. You'll hear these verses recited. But I want us to take kind of a fresh look at these seven verses tonight. And as I said earlier, I want us to think about some of the people and what their responses probably were to this greatest moment in the history of the world up into this particular time. And the first person that I want you to think about is I want you to think about Caesar Augustus. Because this great thing happened on the world stage here in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. But for Caesar Augustus, it wouldn't be too big of a deal for him. Because Caesar Augustus believed that he had no need for Jesus. I want you to re remember that Caesar Augustus is a title. It's not the man's real name. The Caesar Augustus, actually his original name was Octavian. Octavian was the grand nephew and the adopted son of 
Julius Caesar, who you are familiar with probably. When Julius Caesar was murdered, his kingdom was divided up into different sections. Octavian and Antony decided to ally their forces together and go after those who had murdered Julius Caesar, and they were successful in doing so. And so then these two men divided up the empire. Antony would sit in Egypt while Octavian would sit on a throne there in Rome. But Octavian and Antony would get at odds with each other and they would war against each other for quite a while until Octavian finally was able to defeat Antony and he would be the sole ruler over the Roman Empire. Now unfortunately with all of these wars, the people of the empire were really scarred. I mean, there were lots of devastation in the land as a result of the wars that had taken place. And so they longed for a period of peace, and Octavian now being the sole ruler, well, he had the opportunity to provide that for him. Octavian was pretty shrewd. He, one of the first things that he did was reestablish some of the Roman traditions. And so he really won the favor of the Roman people because he had done that. The Roman Senate then made a decision that they were going to deify Julius Caesar. And because he was the grandnephew and because he really took the title of being that adopted son of Julius Caesar... Now Octavian began to be known as the divine son of Caesar, now that they had deified Julius Caesar. He also added to himself the name Augustus, which means exalted one. And so that's where he comes up with his title, Caesar Augustus. And again, being a shrewd, one could say even wise to some extent, man... Octavius, now known as Caesar Augustus, he he knew that the Romans took very seriously their tradition that their gods and the men shouldn't intermingle, they shouldn't be uh, put together, even though he believed that and he honored that. By giving himself that title and being known by that title publicly, there was no question there was a message there that he was the one who was in control of all of Rome. The people, as I said, were longing for a period of peace. And because Octavian, or now Caesar Augustus, had been successful in bringing to the people a period of peace, they thought the world of him. In fact, they considered him the savior of the world. And they thought so highly of Caesar Augustus that they decided that they wanted to set aside the first day of every year as the birthday of Caesar Augustus because in their mind, the news of the birth of Caesar was good news for the entire world. So here is this Caesar Augustus who now is worshipped by his people, who is considered the Savior, the man whose birth was considered by his people good news for the entire world, what in the world would he care about a baby being born in Bethlehem? 
Caesar Augustus felt like he had no need for Jesus. Isn't it true that as we approach this Christmas season, there are a lot of people who live in your neighborhood and a lot of people who go to work with you who also feel like they have no need for Jesus. There are many who believe that they have done enough good things to be a part of the kingdom of God. There are many who believe that they have, well, because they've been brought up in a particular family and because they attend a particular church, they have no need for a Savior. There are many who believe that they are self-made men and women and who have accomplished a lot of great things. And surely, if there's a God in their minds, He would be accepting of them because of who they are and because of all that they've done. There are a lot of people today, just like Caesar Augustus, who are going to hear this incredible message, Luke 2, 1 through 7, about this true good news for the world, but they're going to ignore it because they feel they have no need for him. I want you to think about the people in the town of Bethlehem. Because as Caesar would believe he had no need for Jesus, the people in Bethlehem would feel like they had no time for Jesus. And we read in the passage where Caesar has issued this decree that all the world should be taxed. And so Bethlehem, which was a relatively small place, would be a packed place for this particular point in time. For those who lived in Bethlehem, boy, it was a great opportunity to make some money, right? What an incredible boom for their economy for all of these travelers to be coming through. What a great day for Chamber of Commerce in Bethlehem because people were coming from all over. And so if you had something to sell, that was the time to sell it. People were going to need a place to stay. People were going to need things to eat. People were going to need all sorts of stuff while they had come to that town. And so those people in Bethlehem, they had no time for Jesus. Even those who were visitors, they had come there for a mission, hadn't they? Now, they had come to be taxed in places where they had relatives, and so for many of them, it was an opportunity to rekindle old relationships, visit folks that they hadn't seen in a while, and so it was a great time for them to, well, just to, to, to kind of renew some friendships and be able to be with family, but also there was the business of paying that tax. I mean, you know, things were waiting at home for you, and so for a lot of folks, they came to do what they had come to do, and well, they needed to get on back. See, there were a lot of folks in Bethlehem, though we see this great news about the coming of Jesus, where they felt like they had no time for Jesus. There are a lot of people today who feel the same way, don't they? Listen, I don't know, you know, I've never seen a study, but it would be interesting to see how many folks are excited to get to Christmas and how many folks are excited to just get through Christmas because for a lot of folks Christmas is not something that they're just looking forward to something they're looking forward to getting over there's so much to be done at Christmas right I mean uh, Miss Eva was talking about how she's been here all day long today 
It's not just her, all of those who are involved in Carols by Candlelight. I mean, what a wonderful thing. And certainly, we're grateful to be able to host that. And we know that there are lots of folks who are going to be coming, who are going to have the incredible opportunity to hear a unique presentation of the gospel. But you're worn out, aren't you? Y'all are too, yeah. You want me to hurry up, don't you? We'll hurry up. But it's not just for folks who are part of Carols by Candlelight. I mean, even, listen. Traffic is going to be crazy. People are going to be impatient. Everywhere you go is going to be crowded. There are so many things to do. Something about Christmas brings out the best in us, and something about Christmas brings out the worst in us. We love spending time with family. We love the sights and the sounds and the smells of Christmas. But we just have this undue pressure we put on ourselves that every single part of Christmas has to be perfect, right? The hem has to be perfect. The children and grandchildren have to be dressed perfect. The picture has to be perfect or all life is over if everything is not just perfect. And so we spend so much of the holiday just in a tizzy, don't we? There's so much to be done. And there are a lot of folks, sometimes it's even us. We miss Christmas because we just have no time for Jesus. Think about also the innkeeper in the story, right? And listen, you can do lots of studies on what the manger was really like and what the stable was really like. And man, if you, you can read a hundred different books and you're going you're gonna to find at least 75 different answers to exactly what all that was like. Was it a family barn? Was it a real inn like a Motel 6? Was it a, I mean, what was it? Bottom line is none of us were there. None of us know, Right? What we do know is what we have, and what it says is there was no room for them in the inn, right? And so we imagine this innkeeper. Obviously, the innkeeper had no idea who Mary and Joseph was, and most importantly, he had no idea who this baby was. Because the innkeeper had no room for Jesus. You know, if that innkeeper really would have known who that was, if, if the innkeeper would have known that the baby about to be delivered right there at his place was the God who does wonders, he wouldn't have just been trying to find a guest room. He'd have moved out of his own house, wouldn't he? Would you really offer Jesus the guest room at your house? Or would you offer him the master and anything else he wanted. But that innkeeper, with people coming in there to pay the taxes, folks flooding into Bethlehem, he was just trying to keep his head above water, wasn't he? The inn had booked up. There wasn't any place to get. He probably felt sorry for Mary and Joseph. By the way, traveled 70 miles, right? Now, We've had three children in my house, and I'll be the first to say, right, it was harder for Sandra than it was for me. I want to make sure that that's clear and that nobody tells her that I said anything different, okay? 
but I cannot imagine trying traveling 70 miles, maybe on a donkey, being nine months pregnant. Can you imagine that? This poor couple, they were worn out. And maybe the innkeeper had a heart for them, but he had no room for them. You know, there are a lot of people today, too, that we're going to talk about the incredible message of Jesus, and we're going to use the carols by candlelight and Christmas Eve. By the way, do you know that there are studies that show that people are more likely to come to a Christmas Eve service than any other service of the year, including Easter? Do you know that? Christmas Eve is a big, big deal. An incredible opportunity to invite people to come to church because folks are looking for somewhere to come on Christmas Eve. And so there are many people, though, who will hear the message of the gospel, but they'll have no room for Jesus because their hearts are filled with all sorts of other things. You see, it's easy, isn't it, for our hearts to be just filled up with work-related things or with... uh, dream-related things, or sometimes even just with kids and life and all this other stuff. And sometimes because we have so much in our hearts and so much in our minds, there's just no room for Jesus. It's important for us to kind of do a little introspection, isn't it? To see if there are any idols in our heart that are crowding Jesus out. And so here in this beautiful passage of Scripture that represents this beautiful moment in history, here you have this Caesar Augustus who, he has in his mind no need for Jesus. You have the people in Bethlehem who have all sorts of things to do, and well, they in their minds have no time for Jesus. And then you have this innkeeper who's booked and Well, he has no room for Jesus. But also in this beautiful story, you have Mary and you have Joseph. And they have given their all for Jesus. You know, what amazes me, every time I read it, that passage in Luke chapter 1 where the angel comes before Mary and tells her that she's going to be with child. And she, rightly so, it says, I don't know how that's going to be because I've never known a man. And the angel says, oh, well, that's easy. You know, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and you're going to have a child. And so it just, it just amazes me because, it, you know, if I'm Mary, I'm still looking at the angel going, well, how still, how's this going to happen? I mean, it still doesn't make any sense, does it? But you remember her words? Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Or you look at Matthew chapter 1 when Joseph hears for the first time from the angel as Joseph is trying to figure out what he's going to do because he's betrothed to Mary and now she's pregnant and he knows the child's not his and so he assumes the worst as any man would assume the worst and he's trying to figure out what to do but he wants to make sure that he takes care of Mary and doesn't bring any undue harm or cause any rumors or or cause any damage to her and so he's really just wrestling with that the angel appears before him and he says that child that's God's child that she's carrying and you need to marry her you need to take care of her and the scripture tells us and Joseph did what the Lord told him to do 
And so what a contrast, right? From Caesar Augustus, who felt like he had no need for Jesus, and the townspeople of Bethlehem, who felt like they had no time for Jesus, and the innkeeper, who had no room for Jesus. But there was this couple who had given their all for Jesus. And of all the people that we see in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it's Mary and Joseph who actually celebrate the first Christmas. So I just wanted you to think about this particular passage in a different light. And as we're on the front end, we hadn't gotten to Christmas yet. I want to encourage you to really celebrate Christmas this year. Maybe you hadn't spent a lot of your life saying, I don't need Jesus. Maybe you realized that you do. And that's a good thing. But maybe like the townsfolks, you just, you just feel like you got no time. And maybe like the innkeeper, you just feel you, like you got no room. But I want to encourage you to give your all to Jesus and really celebrate. It was the Anglican preacher John Keeble who wrote, wrapped in, wrapped in swaddling bands and in his manger laid, the hope and glory of all lands is come to the world's aid. No peaceful home upon his cradle smiled. Guests rudely went and came where slept the royal child. Will you make a commitment this year to not miss Jesus this Christmas? Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and we thank you for allowing us to see a very old passage, maybe in a fresh light. Thank you for giving us a, a, maybe a better understanding of exactly what was happening there on that first Christmas. And even contemplating how so many missed the significance of the moment. Father, I pray that we not miss the significance of the moment. As we approach this Christmas season, oh, things are about to really get busy. Rehearsals are going to ramp up. Uh, planning is going to ramp up. There are going to be all sorts of things that we're going to have to do, not just at work, but even opportunities are going to be provided at church. There are so many, many things to be done between now and December the 25th. But I pray that we not get so busy and I pray that we not get so occupied that we miss Jesus this Christmas. Help us, O oh God, to take the time to breathe and enjoy and celebrate. In your name we pray. Amen.